Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you as to what was your key takeout from today's session by writing a review in Apple Podcast with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, Please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and you will receive a one-hour life coaching session for free, valued $500, to help you change your life for the better or to help you get unstuck if you are currently going through a transition or if you need a little motivation. Thank you. This week, as always, we have a super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Maria Simonelli. Working at the intersection of the arts, creativity and science for social change, Maria is a creative change catalyst who fluidly blends careers and interests. She is passionate about encouraging others to dive into the power of their potential. Her vision is a society made richer through meaningful partnerships, exploration and quests born from curiosity. Maria has spent the past three decades playing at the intersection of sustainability, capacity building and creative problem solving and now combines creativity, the arts and sciences to provide vibrant and energizing approaches to social change. The latest venture The Creative Catalyst was born from these parallel interests and led to her mission of seeking to support others to achieve their best creative self. What happens at intersections is a rich creative vein that seeks to encourage a curious and experimental approach to solving problems. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So today we have one of our own, the lovely Maria Simonelli from Melbourne. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Oh, thank you so much on this lovely, beautiful Saturday morning in the middle of COVID lockdown number four. I love it. I know. Bring it on, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, the way that we always love to ask the, uh, oh, I should say, start the show is ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Maria, tell us, what inspired you to do what you do today? Oh, wow. So I think we were just touching base. I think the last time we met, I was 
uh, in the middle of creating or even selling the sweet spot careers idea, so helping women of a particular age, mid-age, to transition to a new role or job or or career. And it was a really interesting time for me because they do say, you know, do what you know, and I was in the middle of transitioning at that time myself. So it gave me a great opportunity to research the psychology of transition and change, and it led to books and workshops and all sorts of things. And I did that for a few years, and I um, I knew I had to create a side project at that stage because I was looking after my mum. And there's a link to this because my mum ended up having dementia and I cared for her for a number of years, but that led to an extraordinary period of really trying to understand what was happening to her both emotionally and uh, just physically, what was what was the, the neuroscience, if you like, of what was going on. And it was a little bit out of, in one sense it was it sort of in context because I have three big themes that are that are probably if anyone's looked at my life would see come through very strongly and one of them is a science theme I studied science and uh and did a sort of a, a double degree if you like I, my first degree was sort of science and education but that led to many years of of involvement in two areas one being environmental science and that led to a lot of work in sustainability and I've really um become very strong on that more recently because of all the work that's all the very strong indicators that are happening around climate change and the, the, the bushfires from only you know 15 months ago uh, there is some really strong um, messages that the earth is giving us that we need to stop what we're doing and really respect what's what messages are coming through we can talk about that at some point. The other theme that came through very much is education and training. I do a lot of work in this sort of um, uh, facilitation, building capacity, and that's a, a thing that's just continued, and I do quite a lot of work now in community building. And the other third theme is my art practice. So I, I came from a very strong uh, family of artisans. Uh, my dad used to grow all our foods. He built our house. My mum would make all our clothes. And I think just being around all that, it it uh, made me understand the value of making things. And linking back to the neuroscience, there's very strong connections between using our hands and what happens in the brain. There's a very strong connection between the the joy well, what they call the flow of being able to make something and get your brain into a default mode. And we can talk about that as we, as we progress, if you like. But I'm very much an artist and a sculptor, and I think that um, comes through as a different form of communication because I do um, – one of my businesses is, is called Project Reclaim, which uses uh, materials that could have been in – would have gone to landfill, and I use them in my art practice. So there's there's quite a lot of things, but I think the thing that – it's quite interesting for me is that they've come together and how they might intersect to have a, a bigger impact, if you like, and that's led to the current program I, I've developed, which is called the Creative Catalyst, which, again, started as a side project, and I'm a big big believer in um, following people's curiosity. Like if you're interested in something, follow it, because it could lead to something, you know, quite substantial. So my work now is very much about how we... Um, think about how we can be more creative and more innovative and that became very clear to me because I was looking again if we circle back to environmental issues the the things that are happening in the world today are not being solved 
with the problem solving we're doing now. So we need more interesting, innovative ways to problem solve. And I know a lot of the climate change work, the debate is very much a political debate. It's about political will. But also what often happens in these conversations is that um, politics will cloud an issue and there are many people out there who think that science will solve everything. You know, we'll get some technology and that'll solve all the problems of the world and we'll be able to keep doing what we're doing. Well, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, it'll help it, but it won't solve it. So there's some interesting, you can see there's a lot of stuff that sort of intersects for me and I, I love that concept of how things intersect, how, um, and in my sense, you know, the work that I do with Creative Adva uh, sorry, Creative Catalyst, um, it's very much about how science and creativity intersect to give us a, a, a better advantage. So that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. Oh, I love that. And we can go in so many different directions here. But it's interesting. I was just, um, uh, when you were talking about how do we solve problems in a more creative way, um, it, <clears throat> I was uh, having a conversation just the other day about asking more thought-provoking questions because what happens is, we have this sense of knowing about something and thus it blinds us from other possibilities or opportunities. And what about if we step out of our knowing and ask different types of questions to get to a different uh, uh, response or answer as a way to expand our way of thinking? Um, and I did say as a way to expand our creativity probably is not the, the work that you do. But is that what you, when you're talking about problem solving and doing it in a more creative um, uh, approach. What is your approach? Yes. That is such, look, that is such an um, important realisation about thinking about things differently. We, we have this default mode that, that we go into that if, if I've got a problem that I solved in this way 10 years ago, your brain just automatically when you've got a problem, it searches for how you've done it in the past. And if you've done it 10 years ago and you solved it that way, well, you'll automatically do it that way again. And it's just a way, you know, there's so many things that the brain is confronted with that we are confronted with every day. So we're trying to find easier, quicker ways to be efficient because, you know, we can't be mucking around sitting under a tree for 10 minutes, you know, 10 hours trying to, trying to problem solve everything. We have to do it quickly. So what has... Um, and it's actually come out of the leadership, excuse me, the leadership research. What's very clear in terms of problem solving is diverse environments, that means people, culture, um, anything that's going to stimulate you to think about things in a different way helps you with your creativity. And in fact, a number of people, I would say creativity experts, think that the, one of the key things about creativity is to make connections. And they put themselves into difficult situations or different situations so they can try and make different connections. And it can be as simple as um, going to work a different way, finding a different route to get to work. Or it could be as complex as um, thinking more um, analytically about a problem. So maybe if we, we, we talk about um, problem solving in two ways, there's a default, sorry, there's the analytical insightful way which is very much about your, your what we would call your prefrontal cortex you know that part of the brain at your forehead that is very risk averse and very analytical and very smart you know it, it gets you through this quite linear process and that is a, a very strong form of problem solving that we all have engineers are very good at this for example but we also have 
a different form of creativity or a different form, sorry, of problem solving, which we don't think about as, um, as I think, seriously. So when you're walking the dog or when you're washing your hair or washing the dishes or you're having a shower, we often have an idea and we often say that, oh, I was relaxed and, and I had this idea. Well, that's actually been shown now that there's a part of the brain that enables spontaneous, insightful problem solving to happen. And it's often now, again, there are researchers that are saying that one of the ways to problem solve is to think about the problem, think about it in that analytical way, but then to walk away from it. And subconsciously, there will be all these things happening which might be drawing on memory, they might be drawing on previous experience, and it'll come out in a, in a, at a time when you're completely relaxed and that's called spontaneous, insightful um, problem solving. So what has been found, and I, Catherine, I found this extraordinary when I read it, is that there are now, through all these scanning processes, you know, these amazing techniques that, that neuroscientists can use, they have been able to show that there's three parts to um, what happens in the brain when you problem solve. And one part is this very much, as I say, this analytical mode excuse me, around the prefrontal cortex and it lights up and then it closes down and another different areas of the brain light up where you might be doing improvisation or spontaneous thinking. And there's this thing called the salience which um, lights up between the two. So the, the I'm not explaining this very well, but the, the, the default and the spontaneous are never on at the same time. And the salience is the thing that draws the two together. So when you're thinking analytically, that lights up in the brain. And then when that closes down, the other sides of the brain, which are more spontaneous in their thinking, light up. So it says to us that your brain has adapted to both forms of thinking and for us to, to use both forms. Don't rely just on an analytical way of thinking about stuff and don't rely on just, oh, well, that's a good idea, you know, um, but I don't take that any further. You know, so often people have an, an idea when they're, you know, walking the dog, but they won't take it any further. So I'm a big advocate for um, allowing your brain to go into that really interesting, insightful pr process. And that's why I talk a lot about, <clears throat> excuse me, restoring your, your body and brain and allowing that, that and respecting that as a really interesting way of problem solving. And also allowing yourself to think analytically about something and, and milking both of it, you know, because we, we really do need both forms of problem solving. Now, the reason I'm talking about problem solving a lot is that I, I see creativity as, if you think about it on a spectrum, we have imagination at one end, you know, this thing about, and, and, and I don't know if you relate to this, but I was certainly the kid who used to, you know, at school be looking out the window, probably not paying enough attention, daydreaming, you know, thinking about all sorts of things. But I never talk, took those ideas much further. Creativity is the next step of that where you've got lots of ideas and you, you do work with those ideas. They might turn into projects. And I see innovation at the other end of the scale, which is very much about scaling up those ideas. And, in fact, some people say that creativity is a new or original idea that adds value to society. And that's sort of now moving us towards that innovative um, angle, if you like. So workplaces are very much thinking about how do we create environments that enable our staff to connect where we um 
Think about creating diverse environments. So that means culturally and um, from the point of view of, of race and sex and experience so that we can get those stimulating ideas happening. And it's an interesting space because certainly my research shows that, you know, it, it can actually be quite challenging to be in a diverse environment. You know, you don't want people challenging your ideas. You'd much rather have people just agreeing with you. But is that a creative, innovative solution? Well, no, it's not, because if we all just agree with each other, you're never going to really kick the idea enough to see whether it's going to have um, traction outside in the in the real world or is it actually going to fix the problem that you want it to, to do. There's, there's a number, I've written a book called The Creative Advantage and I have a number of examples in the book and one of them is this great example of um, four statisticians who were together and they were problem solving and they did this experiment where they could add another statistician or they could add a psychologist to the group and they found that when they added someone with a completely different discipline a psychologist into this group the quality of ideas and problem solving was much more advanced now it's not because the psychologist is particularly smart or clever more clever than a statistician it was because the statisticians knew that they had to prove themselves to this outsider. They had to prove their ideas and they couldn't just go down the normal route that they would normally go down. So that challenging environment allowed these beautiful new ideas to come through and to have solid foundation to them. So that's what I talk about. That's what I mean about problem solving and problem finding in a more creative way. And as I say, it was driven, for me, it was the foundation is very much about driving better new ideas for sustainability but in fact I think we can use this at all at all times of our life as for for young children before they go to school in the preschool environment or at home how do you teach them to be creative or enable environments for them to be creative then when they go to school when they go to university if they choose to uh, in the workplace and then as we age, um, I've done quite a lot of research on the value of art-based practices to help us cognitively stay alert as we age. Now, I think it's important as a sculptor, of course, as an artist and sculptor to do this throughout your life, but often people don't have time, I get it. But it's particularly important as you age because it keeps you it keeps your brain cognitively functioning, if you like. There's enough evidence to show this now. And what we, what I'd like to think about also is what we do pre-retirement and post-retirement. So, you know, I think you can apply this at all significant stages of your life and um, really enhance your creativity to um, to live in a, you know, I think in a more fruitful and and uh, uh, better way. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to put it yeah, I, there was a couple of things that bubbled up for me. So one of them is I was just thinking about what you were saying before that and it was that um, the quote from Albert Einstein and we cannot solve a problem yeah. with the same, yeah, thinking that that I guess created the, the problem and I think that that goes back to what you were talking about, that's default where our brain automatically goes, well, how did we deal with this situation in the past and draw from those experiences rather than uh, be completely creative in your approach and go about it and uh, uh, address the problem in a different way. I've got this thing where I, 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 I when I get stuck in a problem, I, I uh, call walk the problem. 
<laughs> and what I do when I walk the problem is I'll just go out for a walk uh, and I've got beautiful wetlands in the background. It's got lots of trees and so forth. And all I do is collect what my eyes uh, see. So it could be tree, birds, what, whatever that may be. And when I come back into my office, I then look at how does this problem um, or how does this object relate to my problem? as a way to think of it in a very different way. And I've done this with teams using cards, like uh, their coaching cards, and they're just pictures, no words. Um, What are your thoughts about that, using visuals as a way to, or an object as a way to connect to the problem and uh, look at what are the stories uh, that are present about the problem or, or the object and then how to come out and find a solution, work through a solution. Oh, look, I think I think you're onto it. Absolutely. First of all, it's it's about enabling um, your brain to relax a little bit. You know, sometimes when we overthink something, I know with me, if I overthink it, I just start ruminating and I just go down a black hole. So it's about again enabling your your, your body and your brain to relax into problem solving. And in fact, it, just to um, digress slightly, there's a lot of work being done now about um, what I would call ways to enhance your creative advantage. So thinking about sleep, it's just so important now that we respect um, the body's need to sleep. And those people who say they can live off four hours of sleep, well, they're very very rare. I've got to tell you because. During sleep, you know, we we clear out. The, it's called. Um, it's almost like clearing out the, the the sewage system, if you like, all those toxins that that accumulate over the day. But sleeping allows you to flush out those toxins. Um, it allows you to to um, process and consolidate memories during the day and connect those neural connect and make those neural connections needed for memories to go from the short and the long term. Um, it's been proven um, that people who haven't slept well during their life, and we're talking years and years and years of not sleeping well, are more likely to have health problems and and actually dementia as well. So there's there's some stuff around that that um, people need to really think about. And there's also a, a lot of evidence now to think about how you spend your time during the day. So scheduling breaks into the day, breaking up, making a, having a break every 45 minutes is, is what is opportune. Um, and allowing, again, the body to just um, relax into um, allowing whatever just happened before to consolidate. And then there's a lot of work around restorative activities, you know, that solitude can feed the creative mind, that meditation can help creativity. And the one that I'm very strong thinking, strongly thinking about at the moment is creativity in natural settings. There's some terrific work by um, David Strayer who has made some really very strong um, evidence to show that detaching yourself from devices and spending time in nature um, enables you to think more creatively. Now, the reason I'm bringing all that up is that a lot of this is about the way that we we connect our body and brain. And to go back to what you were saying about using a stimulus like a, an object or an environment to help you um, think more creatively, there, again, there's a lot of evidence around how you design your physical space to, to enable you to be more creative. So thinking about the way you use colour um, and um, like green and blue are very calming colours. I'd love your, your thoughts about this, Catherine, whereas yellow is associated with optimism, red is very intense. 
So, you know, thinking about how you might design a room to match the sort of thinking that you might want to be doing every day, um, putting up artwork. There's a huge amount of research that shows that um, the benefits of viewing art in the built environment to reduce stress, which can therefore induce creativity. Um, thinking about the way you use light, making sure sunshine comes in because that's regulating your circadian rhythms. You know, there's so many things, you know, listening to music, you know, buying a plant. We know that exposure to nature helps restore your attention so even having a plant apparently can help you so it's it's so it's 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 I think you know what you're bringing up is that we've been very linear and very um I suppose unimaginative (laughs) about the way that we problem solve and what I'm trying to get across is that there are so many different ways for us to break out of this to um think about the way that we well, live our lives, but also how we we work through these problems. And very much, I'm I'm definitely on the same wavelength about walking it off. I think that's a great idea, um, and and recognizing that you need to do that. You know, recognizing that sitting there staring at a problem, staring at your computer, is just not going to is probably for most of us not going to get you to that space where you need to um, think more clearly. There's just interesting. I, I digress. Tell me if I'm digressing too much. Here. Oh no, no, no. Go for it. I'm just one thing that you did talk about the colors. I um, there is a there is a thing called orosoma and color therapy, where yeah. it is it does um, impact the brain. So, for example, a lot of co- companies like, for example, McDonald's, perfectly perfect uh-huh. example, yeah. the color red and yellow, how it um, activates the left and the right side of the brain. And that the the first the activity the acknowledgement is the red which activates it's like I'm here kind of thing and the yellow is associated with happiness vitality and joy so therefore that's why kids go for McDonald's all the time it's like oh my god I'm I want it because it's gonna make me happy isn't um, that interesting and it increases your heart flow yes. So- or you're feeling your heart rate goes up, therefore you're excited, therefore let's go buy some more chips. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So there is a whole thing on orosoma, which is is basically using colour therapy as a way to shift the vibration of the individual. Yes, yes. Well, let's use that in a positive way as well <laughs> to uh, not just manipulate our children. But Oh, no, no, no. Of course, no, no. But, I, I mean, I've just – it came out of um, – I did some research around neuromarketing and I was blown away what and, – and, and one of them is colour. Colour – they use colours as a, as a way to market to our – bless you, did you just sneeze? Yes, sorry. Bless you. No, that's okay. No, it's a way to market to our unconscious part of our brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I've been doing a bit of reading on, taking this theme a bit further – is, um, well, there's two themes. The corporate world talks about VUCA, the volatile, uncertain, uh, sorry, the volatile, ambiguous, um, complex and ambiguous. Oh, God, I got it wrong again. The volatile, uncertain, um, C is complex and A is ambiguous, this volatile, this VUCA world. And they talk about that from the point of view of what a senior CEOs need to help them in this complex problem-solving approach. So there's this big theme that's coming through around creativity and complex um, thinking skills as being important core competencies for managers to have. So you've got this big big realisation happening 
And then the other end, you've got a lot of work being done now around um, information overload and attention deficit. And I'd love your thoughts on this because they're finding now that this obsession we have with devices, the constant pinging, the constant distraction, um, the the way that that has um, not enabled us to think more clearly, it's, it's actually starting now to be... Um, seen as a uh, as a well a deficit as a as a negative as a as opposed to a positive all this stuff around us um means that we have to really be conscious now about how we use machines sorry how we use devices but also how we spend our days to make sure that we're not being distracted by these sorts of devices um so it's it, again it's it's forcing us for me it's it's forcing us to um really just take stock now. We can't just continue doing what we've been doing and we can't enable it by using technology in a way that's just not supporting us. Mm, I totally, I know the VUCA model and it's, it's all pretty yeah. amazing to work through, but I, I agree with you. Like I purposely don't have any uh, social media apps on my phone. I have I have right. nothing on my phone so that when I do uh, check in and it's, you know, maybe – once every three or four days just to see if anyone responded uh, on social media. But I think what it does, it breaks a level of state, creates, um, I know for me, just from speaking with other people, it creates um, unnecessary unnecessary stress depending on what they've just read or what what was it that pulled them out of state so especially when you're you know focusing on you know uh, on a project let's say I make sure I have everything off like email so I do not break state so that I am in flow you're talking about flow uh, and I think that it's hard for us to stay in flow when we've got all these distractions all the time and to be in flow is um, I the way that I experience flow is when I lose sense of time sense of body and I just, I'm in the present moment with whatever it is that I am working on. And I can't do that if I'm going to be distracted with pings of emails, text yes. messages and whatever. I even um, uh, sometimes put my phone in the car and so that I yes. don't get any distractions. And I'll only go to the car once I finish my project. Uh, that's terrific discipline. I, I I really you know think that that is just so important. I, I'm probably not as disciplined as you because I think I can sort of get into different states, um, and I'm pretty lucky I can sort of you know walk out the door and I'm at the beach. So, but it's it's so important that we recognise this. There's this model that I'm using in the book called the <laughs> it's called the Creative Rhythm Method, and it it has this framework called Fresh, which thinks about F is for focus, um, R is for relationships. So thinking, so focus meaning, you know, creating um, an environment that enables you to have clarity around how you're doing your decision-making. Relationships is about having, you know, thriving relationships with diverse collaborations and creating that, so actively seeking that out. E is for energy, so thinking about how we, um, on a weekly basis, or daily and weekly, pay attention to the activities that we find invigorating and the ones that we find draining. Uh, S is for stimuli, so thinking about the you know the quality of your creative problem solving is is based on the sort of that output is dependent on what the input is. So as I said before, thinking about how you put yourself into interesting, diverse 
um, environments where you talk to thought leaders, where you think about diverse topics that aren't um, in your core area, like, you know, think outside of, the, of that space that you're often in. And H is for hours. So think about how you spend your time. How do you break up your calendar during the day to make sure that you're, you're spending your time in the most um, in the most important way, I guess, not not being distracted. So I try to sort of think about, um, you know, how do we build these models into sort of everyday practice? There's some really good stuff. I don't know if you know the reading of um, Daniel Pink. Yes, wrote, yes. Did you read the book about um, when? I think it's called um, the the scientific secrets of perfect timing. Did you did you? I've got report? a couple of his books. I actually watched him just the other day on Masterclass. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. He wrote this book and the reason I'm bringing this up, it just freaked me out. And he looked at, um, uh, he has this thing, I'm just trying to think what it's called. He has this thing where he talks about the the peak, the trough and the rebound during the day and to get people to think about when they're thinking at their best, the peak, when they need to recover, which is trough, and then when they rebound, where they generate energy again. But the reason I'm bringing this up is there was all these examples of um this is us research where for example if you were um a prisoner who was going up for parole and you had to go in front of a judge if the judge (laughs) if the judge um was seeing you just before lunch you're more likely to get a negative response (laughs) so this is, I mean, this is extraordinary stuff. That the timing of all these sorts of things, and they had they had this um, study around hospitals that accidents in hospitals, surgery accidents, happen in the afternoon when the when surgeons are tired. Now it makes so much sense, but yet we haven't found ways to counteract the body's need to recover. You know, it, I, and I was reading that, and the fact that he had a book with, with um you know, pure research showing this and yet we haven't changed our behaviours. I mean, mm, wow. how, how arrogant are we that we don't even recognise this? But I think it's also working with because, you know, I think it's it's about working with your own rhythm. Um, yeah. I think that's great research, by the way. But I would say that, you know, I, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I think that for me, I'm a morning person. So everyone knows I get up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and that's that's my thing. Uh, but oh. I'm in bed by 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock at the latest. Uh, but I don't, I, I guess, and, and then some people say, but I'm a not a morning person. You're better off if we talk in the afternoon because you'll have the full me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that there's also, depending on your own personal rhythm to, I mean, I, I get I get when we research, it's it's an overall kind of like an uh, an overall, uh, I guess, but it's all, about, it's all about numbers, isn't it? It's really about, well, this yeah. amount of, you know, uh, showed up. But do you think that it's really depending dependent on the individual as well? Oh yes, absolutely. And and what he was showing, I think he has these. Um, uh, he calls people either larks, which is you, you get up in the morning, or owls. And I think there was a percentage of two thir- two thirds are larks and one third are an owl. So you're right. It's your it, it is about your own body. But I think it's that self-awareness that uh, is really important and how the, the systems often don't ever really acknowledge the differences that we have as people. Um, you know, it's one static system, you know. Mm. So, yeah. And I didn't realise you are an early an early riser. Oh, so, absolutely. 
Yeah. So you find you found a way of, of getting to bed early. Obviously, you've changed your routine, obviously. And you, how do you cope in summer when you have to go to bed early and it's still light outside? I have these uh, amazing blinds that black out the room completely. They're, they're external. And uh, so it looks like, even during broad daylight, it looks like, because I like... Uh, especially on weekends, I love my afternoon naps. That's yes. the French in me. Uh, yes. It's like yes. it's dark. It's like nighttime. So um, I don't. I don't. I'm not affected by that. But I have to say that um, my my husband's probably not an early riser like me. But I'm not distracted by noise. So I can fall, when I sleep. I sleep, and I need. Yep. I do need my eight hours. Yeah. Um, yep. But. I also like the fact of, you know, my body wakes up naturally like between three and four and I love it because I feel like I'm the only person on the planet that is awake. <laughs> I know I'm not, but it's interesting because my son used to say to me, Mum, you know, you're the only person in this world that goes to bed that early. And I went, no, not really. All the kids are in bed too at the same time. So and when you think about children, when we were children, we went to bed that, that time. We went to bed at 7, 7.30. Yeah, look, it's it's really respecting your body, isn't it? And and respecting the power of sleep. I've, it's so funny if if someone had, I've been working on this stuff for about six years now, and and uh, if someone had said to me six years ago, you know, what's the one message you want to give people to be more creative? I would have said, you know, talk about experimenting and being curious. Now I'd say get eight hours sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Get proper sleep. And and I think having experienced my mum's illness, you know, go going through and supporting her through her dementia, it just showed me um, the importance because she was not a good sleeper since a child. She was a terrible sleeper. And it, it really reinforced the value and need to change the behaviours to enable this environment that helps you sleep, like, you know, you with your, with your blinds and things like that. Like don't just say, oh, I can't sleep, I can't go to bed early, whatever. Like... Put in place a structure that enables you to do that. There's enough evidence and research and good good advice out there now to to help us, um, you know, benefit from that. Don't Absolutely. watch TV. Don't don't look at your devices at you know after nine o'clock, whatever it is. Like have some discipline. Yeah. And I I think about I love the word accountability. You know, be accountable for, for what energy you're bringing to the room. What um, words you're putting into the environment, how you treat your body, you know, be accountable and take responsibility for it. So, uh, Mm. yeah. And and I think it's really important too, like I have flux on my screen as well. So when it gets to a certain, I mean, I'm in bed early, so anyway, but even when I get up early, once I've done my morning routine, um, so I'm conscious about what light I have in my, what kind of input light input I have that goes into my brain. So we have red lights in the room as well. So we've had that for about seven years now. Um, and I've got red light on my phone. So, but even so, I don't have the phone in the bedroom. We don't watch TV during the week. We, I mean, we are really, really very much about making sure that when we go to bed, if we want to do a bit of reading, um, which, you know, my husband will do some reading. And then even then on uh, Friday and Saturday is out, we'll watch a movie. Um, but then I normally fall asleep because I've been up early, but I'm okay to sleep with, you know, noise in the background. So it doesn't affect me. But during the week, we're very, very strict from a Sunday to a Thursday. We don't watch TV. We don't have, yeah, we're very, very, um, yeah, meditation, very strict about our routine. Yeah. And look, it's, it's obviously worked for you. So an outsider would look at you and think, oh my God, what a freak, but it's working. It's work. And the more, the more we talk about these sort of, 
um, disciplines that are required in a really positive way, um, the more we can restore our way of thinking about our place in the world too because it's about respecting that place in the world and not assuming that we're just going to constantly consume resources because we're in an incredibly privileged position in Australia in yep. most yep. first world countries. I know for me it always gets back to environment, I've got to say. It always gets back to sustainability and our place in the world. Um, yeah. Mm. You you spoke about so I kind of wanted to because I know we talked a little bit about and I love the whole you know getting um and it, it reminded me of you when you were talking about getting different people you know or different disciplines into a group as a way to mm-hmm. to uh, be creative in in solving a problem and I've done mm-hmm. that kind of work with uh, getting different departments together to solve a problem mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. once again open that it's that, that that diverse thinking because they're from different areas. But for the individual, for our listeners who might not be in a corporate environment, let's say if they're an entrepreneur or, you know, uh, you know, whatever that may be, how can they uh, enhance their creativity and how can they in a creative way, like just more think of like, let's say if they get stuck in a problem, uh, how can they solve their problems in a more creative way? So... Um, the work I've been doing, I've got uh, online programs and books that talk about the creative advantage and some people will be drawn to that because it's a competitive advantage and others will be drawn to that because it's a, it's about being creative. So whatever draws you to this, I, I, I want people to think about it from the point of view of going through a series of steps and you know, part of it is understanding what your creative strength is. We, we think about creativity in a different way, but there are a number of ways to assess and clarify what your creative style is. Um, and then I, I get people to think about, you know, what's going on in the creative brain, you know, things that we've been talking about. Then I get people to think about there's a model that I've used called, that I've, I'm calling it the um, creative elements model, and it comes out of Harvard. It's, I've adapted it, but it comes out of Harvard. And they have demonstrated that there's four things, three internal and one external, that enable us to clarify what's important when it comes to, to creativity. And that's um, just very quickly, it's motivation, so the way you think about motivation. It's the way you think about skill sets. So you still have to know your subject area to be able to dig deep to problem solve around it. I'm not an engineer and there's no way I can be creative about an engineering problem when it's building a bridge. I would never assume that. So you do need to know your content. Um, and and um, another area called domain, uh, sorry, that's called, you know, domain expertise and another area around skill sets. So there's enough research now out there about the sorts of behaviours and skill sets we can have that enable us to be creative. So things about, for example, very quickly again, um, how you think about collaboration, how you think about discipline, how you think about um, how you see a problem, the way you might think about um, uncertainty, the way you think about risk, those types of things are behavioural but also important skill sets that you can develop. So they're internal to the way that we problem solve. And then the fourth one is external, which is environment. And Again, it's all those things we've been talking about, about um, creating important environments that support you, but also in the workplace, 
making sure that managers are consciously creating environments that support the individual and the organisation as well. So I, I get people to think about that. And then I, I guess it's really t- touching based on all the things that we've spoken about already around creating conditions for creativity, around connection and diversity, around in, um, thinking about how the body and brain are connected. So what are the sorts of um, you know, as we've said, sleep, restorative um, behaviours, being in nature, meditating. And when again, meditating is, a, is an interesting one. I'd love your views on this because some people get really put off by that. But it's really, for me, about breathing. Like you just breathe in and out to make sure that the body is in a space where it can move into um, a flow or an insightful mode. So, you know, we don't have to get all crazy about it but if you can't meditate it's usually a sign that your, your your brain is too busy so it's about giving it space to to let that flow through and then I talk about you know building routine into our day so you know that idea of the creative rhythm method is about building routine so again if you've got some behaviors that are distracting you how do you build a routine to not be distracted by those things um, and then I spend a lot of time on creative problem-solving tools. And there's some terrific, really good research out there now about our preferences in um, creative problem-solving. And um, I'd love to talk about that, actually, because there's uh, there's some research that I've just become, um, well, in the last couple of years, I've been certified as this as a mindset uh, creative problem-solver, and it's come out of a um, a group in the US. Can I can I mention that because it's of it's, course yes absolutely you'd probably love this. It's this really interesting stuff that came out of um, uh, there's a school in Boston in the US called the International Center for Creativity and the guy who started or I think he runs it and he started it called Jared Puccio Professor Jared Puccio ended up doing his PhD on this work, and this is going back a number of years now, and that's led to this group called Foresight, which is a business that um, is in the US, and they do this certified training. And in essence, what their research showed is that we have preferences in the way that we problem solve. And they've they've come up with this um, four-prong four process, if you like. So um, if you bear with me, just think about a problem and think about the people in a room and how they might problem solve. So you've got people who clarify. They're the ones who love exploring um, challenges and opportunities, but they want clarity. They want. They really want to know what the problem is that they're trying to solve. Um, they are those sort of people in a room that ask endless, endless questions. They're always asking questions about clarity. So they, they're one type of problem solver. Then you've got another one that... Um, thinks in in uh, they're, they're the ideators. They're the ones that always come up with millions of ideas. And some of the ideas, most of them aren't very practical, but they just, those ideas keep flowing. And they're very comfortable with big picture. They stretch their imaginations. And again, think about the times when you've been in a meeting or, or where someone's just spitting out ideas. Then you've got the third type of person, which is a developer. So they're the ones that like to pick one idea and analyze it and make sure that all the parts are in place to to let that idea go to the next phase they don't care what the idea is they just need one idea and they'll put all the the bits in place to make sure that it can move forward so they they're often those people who transition 
an idea into a, a practical solution. So they're the developers. And then you've got the implementers. They're often CEOs who, again, may or may not have a view about the idea, but they're the ones who just want to make sure that the thing is done. They want to make sure that the resources are in place, that people are in place, they can tick that box, and they they love seeing something come to fruition. Now, this forced, when I learned this, I just thought, oh, my God, all those people I've worked with in the past that I possibly didn't connect with because they'd be asking inappropriate, I thought they'd be asking inappropriate questions or they'd be always dragging us back to clarifying a problem when we're, you know, we're at the development phase. And it's that interesting idea of thinking about people and what their preferences are. These are not abilities. We can all do all four stages. And in fact, the research has shown there's about 15 different variations. You know, so you can be a clarifier and a developer. You can be an implementer and a, you know, ideator. You know, you can have these mixes, different different sorts of preferences. But when I started to understand that, it really shows me how you can build a collaborative work environment. Because instead of thinking, oh, that annoying guy, I know he's just going to ask lots of questions, it's about thinking, okay, he's asking those questions for a reason. He wants to clarify the problem. We still haven't satisfied his need or he or she's need to really understand the parameters of what we're working with and respect that and, in and in fact, make sure that you understand it too if that's not your natural preference. So it's a really interesting way of then thinking about, well, if we've got um, – a new product that we, we want to create. Let's get a bunch of ideators together and get them to just come up with a whole lot of ideas. When we want to implement that product, let's get people with all four um, preferences together in a room so that we can actually make sure that we've thought about all the processes before that product can go to market. So it's just that interesting idea. And when I when I latched onto this, I thought, oh, this is just brilliant. I've done quite a lot of work um, workshops with people and the awareness is just extraordinary the the seeing people in a different way and again respecting why they do what they do and then going back to this idea of how you use this if your preference is not in any of those particular areas but you want to develop your problem solving skills to have um, some um sophistication around all four areas there are so many tools out there that can help you do that so that's the stuff I really love focusing on and you know it's come out of um you know when I when I use the word and you you know this Catherine when we when we do brainstorming for example you know if I said to a group oh let's do some brainstorming the groans that would happen because what they've experienced with brainstorming is someone coming in doing lots of sticky notes on walls and they're not taking it any further. So it's probably just an ideation phase, for example. They don't know if they're, they're clarifying the right problem. And what happens to all those ideas? Well, they probably don't go anywhere. So true. Oh, my God. And I've sat through those things and thought, oh, my God, for God's sake, please, let's just do some proper facilitation. So I feel like this type, this type of awareness can help any manager or any, any, anyone, but particularly managers to get the best out of their staff and to make, if they've got that flexibility to be able to put people in different roles according to whatever the problem is, then you're going to get the best out of everybody. So I, I'm just so excited about this, this stuff now um, and how it applies, as I say, to thinking about all those precursors that I talked about in terms of ensuring that you're 
you know, your body and brain are working really well together, that you've done all that work that's required. And then when you hit a problem, you really are doing it with the, with the best intention and with the best set of skills now. So I'm very excited about that. And not just in the workplace, but also, as I say, in our, just in our normal lives. You know, how do we apply this when we're working with our kids? Not, we're not working, but when we're parenting with our kids. How do we encourage play? How do we encourage reading? Are, are we, I suppose, aware enough to think about when we're thinking about schools that we want kids to get our kids to go to? Are we thinking about um, whether they respect structured and unstructured playtime? There's a real push at the moment, I've noticed this, um, to have less playtime for children. I mean, I, I just think that's absurd. Um, you know, as, as kids grow up, how are they going to cope with, um, you know, with, I'm thinking about the Finnish education system at the moment and that's, that's put up as a best case study and the way they've turned their whole country around, starting with schools. And um, we can talk about that at length if you like, but it's this really interesting way, the way that they've, they've thought about um, cultivating creativity in their children from preschool onwards. Um, and then also, as I say, applying it to the way that we live our lives as we age, you know, making sure that we're cognitive, staying cognitively aware and cognitively alert as we as we age. I think that there's a lot to be um, a lot to be uh, spread. Um, I'm sounding like a bit of an evangelist now, but a lot to be spread about that as well. So um, that's I mean, I went all over the place there, but that to me, that's how I would think about. Um, creating, being better creative thinkers, I guess. And, and I love it. I, I, I could really relate to the ideas one. That's definitely me. I'm always full of ideas. I'm, I'm the one that people come to. So how are we going to solve this problem? So for, for those that are listening, how do they find out which quadrant they sit in? Do they do an assessment or is more yeah. so oh, it's an assessment to see what their yeah, strongest yeah. is? Okay. There. So there's a, there's a 10 minute online thing um, that they can do and it asks, a number of questions, a little bit like the Myers-Briggs type stuff. Um, and then Foresight's got this great um, system in place where they, within a, you know, a minute of sending it in, it sends you back an assessment and then gives you um, uh, access to a whole lot of information as well. So they can, they can talk to me if they're interested. As I say, you, you need to sort of um, understand how to sort of maybe decipher the information and not, you know, if it says you're, you're an ideator, um, it talks about the, the things that you need to be your best ideator, but the things for you to be aware of how other people might see you. And, you know, sometimes an ideator, this is not you, I'm sure, Catherine, they can be seen as a bit flaky because they just they just spit out ideas all over the place and, uh, you know, possibly don't think about the the logic of those ideas. So I think ideators are amazing because they come up with ideas and mm. then it's the developer and the clarifier to make sure they're coming up with ideas that actually solve the problem, and the developer then is the one who can able put some structure behind the the one or the two best ideas that come out of that you know potential brainstorming. So, to me, it's a really interesting tool that you can use as a manager. But as I say about self awareness, also, and I, look, I've had um, lots of reflections about this one about you know people I've managed where I probably haven't seen the best part of them because I've thought oh my god if they come up with another idea I don't think I can cope so it's it's a really good one I think um 
to think through. As I say, it's, yeah. a, it's a great tool. Now, and I think, I mean, for me, I write my ideas down, but then I look at which one's going to have, I guess, the, yeah. the the most impact. And even when we've got a problem, we'll sit down uh, with my team and we'll sit down and go, okay, it's a problem, what, what will be the solution? So we all have to come in with our own solution to fix this problem. Yeah. And it's great because there's so much diversity in our team that we can actually all come from different angles. And yeah. Uh, and- yeah. Well, it's also I've I've done the assessment a couple of times, and I'm actually called an integrator, which means that my uh, skill sets, sorry, not skill sets, my preferences are across all four of these quadrants, but I'm slightly higher in the clarifier, and I'm slightly lower in the ideator. But my uh, you'll, there's a band that it has to fit within, and uh, so I'm an integrator. So that and that actually reflects the fact that I'm. You know, I'm, I feel at my best when I'm doing a project because I've got the sense that I know how to clarify a problem. I can come up with enough good ideas. I certainly know how to develop the ideas and then I know how to complete them. So you probably, if you did the assessment, would may or may not fall into that idea as well. So as I said, there's variations. You can be, um, you can be uh, a number of different things and uh, they reflect in a different way. Um, yeah, so that's a really interesting tool I've just started using that I, uh, uh, I think that the, the value of it also is that if you want to be a well-rounded uh, integrator, you can then learn the tools to do the next step. So if you're not a, cl- a clarifier, you, your natural tendency is not to, you know, to jump into the ideas or to jump into the development stage with just one idea. There's a number of tools out there now, self-reflective tools that enable you to think, okay, before you start, have you done this, this, this and this? So for me, it's about using those preferences, you, you, the natural thing that you might be drawn to, but then what's the skill set that is, can act as a foundation behind it? You know, there's so there's a wonderful man called Sir Ken Robinson who you, you'd be aware of and he, he, he passed away quite recently and, you know, there was this groundswell of... of um, of beautiful sort of support for him and his family after he passed away. But one of the the most amazing quotes he said was that about creativity because he was a a, a real advocate for particularly creativity in schools. But he said something like, um, you know, people say that they're not creative. But, you know, you wouldn't say that about if you – it's because they haven't been taught to be creative. You know, they haven't had the, the, the exposure to it or the tool sets, as I, as, I, as I keep saying. You know, if, if someone says they can't read, it's because they just haven't been taught to read. You wouldn't assume they can't read. You just teach them how to read. So I love that framing of it, which is let's, let's utilise all these amazing tools that are out there now to, to help us problem solve. And as I keep saying, get, go back to the neuroscience behind it, which says, you know, we, we, we were born to be creative. We, you know, we grew up, primates grew up problem solving. If they didn't, we wouldn't be here today. So it's an innate skill that we have that has been driven by evolution. The best of the best survived because they were creative. And along the way, the brain changed to accommodate that. You know, the, the prefrontal cortex changed because people started using tools. They started um, working collaboratively collaboratively in groups to hunt animals to survive so let's respect that again and 
take it the next stage, you know, value mm-hmm. that by, by learning more skills, et cetera. So, um, and, yeah. you, and that goes back to what you were talking about. Uh, by the way, Sir Ken Robinson does have a great TED Talk called Do Schools Kill Creativity? Yes, I'd yes. love everyone to listen to that. That's yep. apparently got the be- the most hits, hasn't it, from the TED? Like it's got. I'm minutes. not too sure, but um, I do, it is a really good uh, TED talk. Actually, we'll have that in the links um right. uh, with the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, it goes back to what you were saying, connection. I mean, if you think about, you know, I always look at, you know, micro macro. If the brain, you know, with the synapses within a connection, I mean, externally we function that way too. The more different connections and more variety and the diverse uh, bits of connection um, is how I th- I think that we expand as an individual when we expand our creativity and expand even our our um, neural pathways, right? So it's, it is all about, I always look at what the brain does internally. If we can map that externally, we are going to be working very much aligned with when you talk about, you know, mind and body or brain and body connection. Mm. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it, it really is just about, um, it's about just being our best creative selves and just not wasting time. Like there's just so much joy and um, work to be done. But, I mean, it's not all work, is it? But as I say, I'm pretty much driven by the sort of work around the sort of climate change and sustainability angle. But it's just also I love my art practice. I love being able to just get into that space where I'm in the woodwork studio and just playing and, uh, you know, days can go past. And I, I talk about being in the flow, you know. It's it's just that interesting thing about seeing creativity in a different way for me. And, and uh, you know, if I hear people say, oh, I'm not creative, it's like, oh, boy, it, you, you're just framing it completely the wrong way. Let's, let's explore this, you know, mm. a little bit. So... Yeah. And, and I think that's one missing piece of play and fun. Like when we talk about, and I've done lots of group activities, when we talk mm-hmm. about what is it that is really important to you about your work, I've, I, I, and I participate in it because I always add fun and play and it never, I'm the odd one out because people <laughs> don't consider fun and play in a work environment because, oh, no, you can't have fun while you're working because that would be seen uh, as if you're not really working, you're that's having true. fun. Yeah, well, isn't it interesting? You know, we love play as children and then we stifle it as adults. You know, play as children helps us learn, helps us socialise, helps us problem solve, and then suddenly we think as adults, what, are we above all this? And I'm not. I'm, I'm with you. It's not about wasting time. It's about creating a joyful um, environment, a safe environment where you can have a bit of a laugh and a joke and, and, uh, and again, be creative. So, yeah, mm, yeah. that's really interesting. And also there's a lot of research that shows that when you're having fun in a learning environment, the brain absorbs the information, the content a lot more easier because it, it has then an emotional connection to the learning. Yes, yes. That's so yeah. important, isn't it? Yeah, Very important. Yeah. So, Maria, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration, pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Can I have two? You can have two. <laughs> I'd have to say creative catalyst. I, I really feel like I'm at that space now where I'm I'm hoping that I can enable others to tap into things that they possibly hadn't thought to tap into and and really help them light up, you know, find that place where they, they're they're at their best. Beautiful. And the last question that we always love to ask our woman of inspiration is what are three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to give to our listeners today and it could be three practical exercises for our audience 
Okay. Um, look, I think, as I said before, just staying curious and um, exploring and, and, and being experimental. You know, I, I do that through side projects, as I mentioned before. And um, it, it's so interesting. When I was working on the, the career work, you know, the sweet spot career stuff, there was a lot of stuff about finding your passion and I remember thinking, what if you what if you don't know what your passion is? I met, you know, I worked with a lot of women who didn't didn't have a passion, and it became really important to to say to them to not beat themselves up if they're not clear. Um, so work on something that interests you, like you know, what are you curious about? What do you want to experiment on? And and take it seriously in the sense that you allocate time to it. Don't just think it's going to happen. I used to do this exercise, you know, what do you do on a Saturday morning? And can you allocate an hour to reading or listening to podcasts about something that interests you? So the first nugget, I guess, is is about staying curious. Um, and I guess the next one would be about um, finding ways to bring ideas and, and, and your dreams into the world. As I say, allocate time and and take it seriously. If you're in a place where you're not you know, completely fulfilled, don't just don't just put that aside. You know, listen to what your intuition and if there's something nagging at you, listen to it and and take it to that next step and allocate time. And and I guess the third part would be about, as I said before, about being accountable. So if you're in an unhappy position or an unhappy place for whatever reason, be accountable and take and listen to what your body or your brain is telling you and take 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 it the next stage follow whatever that path is that you need to and and don't just sit in in a space that is not fulfilling you i mean that's all about the work that you do catherine so you know full full um acknowledgement to the work that you guys do because it really is so important to just give people the school the tools and the skills to take at the next stage because there's just so much fear around this fear around change so yeah take it learn from the past you know live in the now and plan for the future but and take it the next phase be accountable and as i said before be accountable for the words you bring into the world the the energy you bring into the world take it take that seriously and and uh yeah, just take that in the next step. Don't don't ever stop. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. That's great. I love all three of them. And where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Uh, so probably the website, thecreativecatalyst.com.au, um, has all the tools, uh, has books, uh, online programs. You know, I can do some one-on-one stuff with people too. So, yeah, thecreativecatalyst.com.au. Well, we will have that in the show notes. Maria, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom, your time and your energy. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it and lovely to connect with you again and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Take care. You too. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or 
please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katrinplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.